This is The Guardian. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Another defeat for Manchester United, this time at the Allianz in an odd 4-3 that didn't feel like a 4-3 at all against Bayern Munich. Eric Ten Hag's men started brightly, but then Andre Anana somehow let one in and although they kept fighting, it never felt like they'd get back into it. For their part, Bayern looked good, but not great. And then there's Arsenal battering PSV at home. It couldn't be more perfect for Mikel Arteta. Wonderful goals, great performances all over the pitch and a chance to take players off with one eye on the North London derby this weekend. We'll round up the other games, including Jude Bellingham, Doing it again, his extraordinary Real Madrid start carries on. Then we'll look ahead to the Premier League weekend. We'll apologise to Burnley and Nottingham Forest. There's some more dustbin talk for Mark Langdon. We'll take your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello. Hello, Archie Rintut. Hi, Max. Hello, Mark Langdon from the Racing Post. Hi, Max. All right, let's start in Group A. Bayern Munich 4, Manchester United 3. Andy says, how can a team get hammered? 4-3. Arch, you were there. I don't, I don't know if that's fair to say that Manchester United got hammered. But once Bayern took the lead, it never looked anything but a Bayern win. And yet I couldn't work out if it was a good game, if anyone was good. I couldn't really work out what to make of any of it. Yeah, same. And I've had eight hours to sleep on that as well. And even directly after the game, when I was chatting to you uh, on the telly, uh, I was still a little bit dumbstruck by what had happened. Because, sure, after that mistake by Andre Onana, all the air in Manchester United just seemed to to go out of them. And with that, the fight. And then they had that little comeback at the start of the second half. But once again, Bayern just scored so quickly after it. And I, I think that's the thing is, if you'd kept playing that game, it just felt that every time that United scored, well, Bayern would just go and turn on the gas again and pull away from them. But overall, I think that it's enough of a result to make Manchester United, from from the coach's perspective, from Eric Ten Hag's perspective, be like, okay, this, this saves face enough. Whereas for Thomas Tuchel, I think that, yeah, sure, they had the game under control for, for large parts of it and they, that they showed what they do have up their sleeve, but it's still far away from a statement performance from him and from his team that we've not yet seen at Bayern. I'd say it was a probably a six out of 10 performance, which is encouraging for them, at least because you know that they've got that much space to to get better. Yeah, and that's enough to, to beat Manchester United. Manchester United were good, Barry, for 20 minutes. We were sitting there, we'd done the pre-match going, well, look, United might get stuffed today. And then actually we're thinking they could get something out of this game. Yeah, they started very well, played superbly for the first 25 minutes should have taken the lead after four 
when um, Christian Eriksen played Palestrian and he looked to have a tap-in but was denied by a brilliant Alfonso Davis tackle. And then when Anana let that goal in, and I mean, it was a soft shot by um, Leroy Sané, and he, if he'd been wearing a hat, he could have thrown it on the ball, but he wasn't, and he didn't, and he he let it squirm past him, and that really did knock the stuffing out of Manchester United. I mean, I, I think Bayern Munich were pretty impressive, actually. I think six out of ten is a bit harsh. Uh, Jamal Musiala was brilliant. Uh, Sané was excellent. Nabry was good. Kane was good. Kimmich was good. It It was weird, because... They were on top from from when they scored that goal. And then there was probably about two minutes towards the very end when their fans were going, oh, dear. I think it was just complacency had set in. And they did just enough to get over the line. Because I think the penalty they got, I I thought it was incredibly harsh. Uh, The Ericsson handball. (laughs) Oh, God, I can't can't bear it. I can't say anything more. Max, we really need to hear from you on that. I, I don't want to analyse the nitty-gritty, but it was ridiculous, in my opinion. But um, Anana, he did drop that bollock, but he also made some very good saves. He saved from Sané, Chupamoting, Coleman, Kane, and Bayern Munich hit the post twice, you know, thumped the post twice. So I think the, the scoreline really flatters Manchester United, but they do deserve some credit for being good in spots in the first 20 minutes and the last five. Jason says, at what point does Johnny Evans get asked if he has Roy Carroll's number? Tom says, do you think United going from a keeper with no feet to a keeper with no arms was the right move? I mean, Well, interestingly, actually, Manchester United had three keepers on the bench last night, so they weren't short of backup if an Anne had, <laughs> had, a, good point. had a complete meltdown. Mark, I mean, what have, it's interesting because it's, I mean, that's Anana's biggest mistake, apart from the sort of, Absolutely hammering that Wolves centre forward, but he didn't get penalised for. But but he hasn't started brilliantly, has he? No, no, he hasn't. Um, you know, I mean, there's some people that that feel like goalkeepers. You know, the first thing they should be good at is you know be good with your hands and then let the the feet sort of um, sort of take care of itself after that. Um, I, I think this comes back to sort of the Ten Hag and maybe people starting to not trust his signings as much because he's had a, a very um, big influence on the arrivals at Manchester United. Um, most of those he's worked with before. A lot of the time they've overspent, um, and you know you, you you can say that's a Manchester United tax, but they, they kind of the signings haven't felt that smart, I suppose. On the just Anana in isolation, though. I mean, I, I just think it was a mistake from a goalkeeper that is still one of you know the best around. He showed that last season. I think they're very, really interesting what the opposition have started to do with Anana. They know he's so good with his feet and they've just stopped pressing him. Bayern weren't putting him under any pressure. Um, if you watch the, the game against Arsenal, they did exactly the same um, against Anana as well and just let him have the ball. Because he's so good at passing through you, um, you you're kind of negating one of his biggest strengths by just saying, well, have it um, in the penalty box. What are you going to do? And so... Um, they spent a lot of money on a goalkeeper to pass it out and to start their attacks, but opposition teams don't seem to be falling for that. Um, but I mean, apart from the Dieri, then made a couple of okay sort of smart saves. I mean, if Arteta was the manager, he might well have substituted him, given what he was saying about <laughs> sort of um, you know swapping his goalkeepers 
um, at, at times. But I think he'll come good. Um, but I, I, it's just a general distrust of maybe Ten Hag's sort of transfer strategy. Well, I mean, you can argue that that that's what you're getting with Anana. He makes mistakes, and that's part of the package. But the, I suppose you hope that his qualities will outweigh the occasional rick. The worry is that not a, an awful lot of big-name players go to Manchester United and regress. And is that going to happen to him? We shall see. But they spend a lot of money on high-profile players who go to the club and don't kick on or don't live up to the expectations of the price tag. One of their best players last night was a, a Tottenham loanee that sort of would, would be about third or fourth choice in the, the sort of Spurs left-back rank. So it's quite weird how the club seems to just swallow up talent um, just consistently. He's about the first player, Regulon, that is. Uh, he's the first player I've seen be able to keep up with Leroy Sane at a sprint. And Sane kind of just looking around being like, oh, you're still here, are you? <laughs> I, it was, it, it was mad. But, but yeah, I just uh, on on Onana. I it, it was noted that after the game, it was actually his former teammates, like Matthijs de Ligt, uh, the Bayern Munich centre back, who went up to him to console him. And and even after the goal happened, I didn't sense a lot of kind of team spirit of Hey, mate, come on, we've got your back. It felt more like Oh, cheers, mate. I get it. But at the same time, I it also, I think, represented the spirit of that Man United side, which is there's a lot of individuals who don't really know why they are playing with each other right now. And I just think a lot of kind of, you know, when Juventus used to kind of pick off those players who seem like they're past their best, but fit them into a team and, and they'd be really good. It feels like half of the Man United team fit into that category now with... Ericsson, Varane, Casemiro. And I'm like, you can't build a team around that, around everybody else in Europe's kind of cast-offs, if you will. Like, sure, they've got experience of winning things, but I just don't see how Eric Ten Hag, who's famous for building a team which was bigger than the sum of its parts, is now probably doing the having to work with the opposite of that. And when it inevitably does go south for him, he'll 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 probably take some of the blame, fine, but is it ultimately his fault? That's a good question. Charlie says, is there a case for Man United actually being hugely unlucky so far this season? A starting 11's worth of injured, unavailable players, extremely tight decisions not going their way at pivotal times in the last three games that could have changed each result? I mean, I guess the flip side of that, Mark, is they were lucky to beat Wolves and they were 2-0 down to Nottingham Forest and they could actually have lost every game this season. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, Wolves should have had a penalty on another day. Manchester United don't get that penalty against Nottingham Forest. I mean, I, I felt like it, it was, but, you know, if you're starting to argue about sort of fine decisions, um, then, you know, that, that's one of those that could have gone the other way. Um, you know, against Arsenal, they didn't play that well. I mean, they might, it could have been a smash and grab, but it was offside. I, you know, I know Ten Hag still doesn't believe the lines, but I don't think you can start, you can start sort of um, going too, too much that way. I mean, last season, their goal difference was poor in comparison to all of the other sort of top teams. And I, I think I remember saying on the um, sort of the, the season preview that we did, that it doesn't take much for those kind of fine margins to go the other way. Um, in you know when when you've got a goal difference that's only sort of plus, I think it was eighteen um, over a whole season, and now maybe it's just you know United are getting one or two of those that um, 
not quite falling for them. But I mean, in this game, I mean, to me, it just felt like Bayern could have won it whenever they wanted to. Really, once they got in front, it was when United sort of came back at them, they would just step it up again. Um, and probably just complacency from Bayern allowed Manchester United to. Um, put what looks a sort of semi-respectable score on it. But this is still Manchester United. I don't think they should be going to Bayern Munich feeling like they're massive underdogs. And, you know, that goes to just show that, you know, things have been wrong for a long time and we, we seem to go over it every week. But, you know, United should be able to go to the Allianz and be on a level footing with, with Bayern Munich, given the money that they've got and sort of all the resources and, and what they've spent over the last decade or so. Just quickly on your turn of phrase, Mark. I, I, I liked it last night when you said, hate the rule, not the ref, um, <laughs> regarding the penalty. And and equally, uh, saying, don't believe the lines. I, I think that, that's, that, that it feels like football's own conspiracy theorists like can get together on the, yeah, I, I don't believe those lines, man. Like as if people are going to be drawing up their own lines right off the TV cameras. I can, I can kind of see it happening. That's the oh, sad absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, what you need to watch football, you need a, you need a, you need a pint or a cup yeah. of tea and a ruler and then you're allowed, <laughs> then you can sit down and. And watch a helix thirty centimeter, and you're absolutely fine. Um, sorry, Archie, you were I stopped you mid flow. Barry mentioned him earlier. I just wanted a little bit more love for Jamal Musiala and his dancing feet and doing the quickest three point turn in midfield that I can remember for that second goal, where he just seems to get out of that cul de sac from absolutely nowhere, <laughs> uh, and it's. Also, just good to see him performing again because he had a difficult period after the World Cup where you could see his confidence was visibly knocked. Came into his own towards the end of last season again as well. But when he's in full flow and he's dancing, oh, hot damn. He is such a good player to watch. Mm. Oh, hot damn. That's exactly how I was going to phrase it as well. Um, <laughs> I, just a question, Archie, on, on Harry Kane. Like in, in that sort of bit of the second half where nothing was happening, it did look like he was just having a great time dropping deep, playing in Nabri or Musiala or, you know, like, or Sane. It's just like, just him going, well, I've got some really wonderful players around me <laughs> to just be good at what I am good at. It, it, it feels like, Max, that there was a bit you didn't say there about his time at Spurs. Um. Well, he obviously had good players around him, yeah. like, and he had some great players around him. But uh, you know, that is such a perfect three for him. I think. Yeah. No, I, I just couldn't tell if, if you were leaving something in the air, being like, "Yeah, I wish he'd had that in in North London." But anyway. No, no, no. No. Okay. Good. Oh. Uh, look, uh, he's still. I think he's still adapting. Uh, he's not quite fully integrated because there are still runs that he's making where his teammates uh, are actually trying to push him further on into the box, but. Given given the likes of the players around him, going forward, Bayern have less problems. I still didn't think actually they were as good as they can be. That's that's what my 6 out of 10 went off is because I've seen how relentless Bayern Munich teams can be with their opponents. And this team still hasn't quite clicked on that front, even even going forward. Kane is is doing what he has to do. So far, I still think he said himself that he, he can get better and, and I, I can see why. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the 
look, he's 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 doing what he has to do so far. And you know what? Even if that is sticking away a penalty, God, that penalty was so good last night. Just to drill it with that accuracy, the goalkeeper telegraphs where he wants to go. But still, he has no chance because of how well he hits it. Albeit, Max, I every time I see Harry Kane score a penalty now, I get really, I get really pissed off because I'm like, oh yes, mate, I know what you're gonna say? You fancy doing that yeah. against France for the second one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we've just got to let it go, all of us. Um, uh, uh, Barry, you don't need to let it go. Clearly, uh, also in this group, <laughs> he's smiling too much. Galatasaray two, Copenhagen two. Copenhagen with two nil up, and there's two late goals for Galatasaray. Brilliant end to this game. Tete's goal, the equaliser was brilliant. Wilfred Zaha getting the assist. And actually, Mark, I mean, Galatasaray deserved something from this game. And it's quite interesting. They've invested a lot. I wonder if they could push Man United in second spot in this group. I think on paper, um, there's some very interesting um, players, um, many of which kind of seem sort of rocking around other European elite leagues previously. Um, Lucas Torreira was in uh, midfield once of Arsenal um, for, the, for that game last night. Ziyech and Mertens playing off Icardi um, as well. So there are um, you know, definitely players there of uh, you know previously have, have shown some some good stuff around Europe. Zaha, Tete, Sergio Oliveira, Tanga and Dombele, they all came on um, as well. So it's a really... Kind of um, an, an odd bunch, I think, thrown together. There's a lot of players wanting wanting to play in similar-ish positions. Um, so interesting to see how that one develops. But um, you're right to say that um, Galatasaray deserved a point. The Copenhagen goalkeeper, Grabara, once of um, Liverpool, um, soon to be of Wolfsburg, certainly I, I don't see him sort of heading to um, Istanbul anytime soon um, after his Instagram <laughs> post um, over overnight where he he just he, he referred to uh, Galatasaray as a shithole um, initially. Deserved all three points from that shithole, but that's life. We move on. He um, changed his, his diplomatic tune. post. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he then referred to it as a shit game um, ah. in an edited um, post. But the, the Galatasaray fans are well known for taking you know that, that, that kind of thing well. Um, so um, you, you can imagine the, the the type of abuse that has been coming his way on social media in sort of overnight and, and this morning. Just looking at that Galatasaray lineup and the bench, it's, it's a real expendables feel. Yeah. Though, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if ever a squad could down tools, you know, when it, at some point, if it doesn't go right, you think that could be it. But you never know. One last job. They could just do, you know, there's, there's a lot of plastic surgery done. Do they, do, they, do they fly to games on that expendables plane? You know, it's sort of open. They're sort of like, a, they just roll out the back in a big tank. Be fun. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin at the Emirates. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. 
Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We're going on tour. Uh, still tickets available in London and Manchester on the 13th of November in London. Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Philippe Claire, me and Barry. Uh, on the 15th of November in Manchester, uh, me, Barry, John Bruin, Nader Manuha. Go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Also on the 22nd of November, uh, the show is being live streamed, the Brighton show, our finale. Uh, so wherever you are on earth, you can buy tickets and uh, watch it on Catch Up over the next week if you can't watch it live. And it will be sensational. Uh, also, if you really want more online content from us, uh, on Tuesday, next Tuesday uh, at 8 p.m., uh, Robin Cowan is hosting uh, a Q&A with me, Barry and Wilson, about the Football Weekly book. If you'd like to get tickets or you'd like to buy the book, go to theguardian.com slash footballweeklybook. Apparently, they're putting posters on the tube barry of the book. really this is, yeah wow yeah that's very exciting i was, I was gonna say what an absolute waste of money that is but i don't know <laughs> how brilliant to, what i meant to say was how brilliant that people will see it and impulse buy that my, my friend's dog was on a series of tube posters and big mm-hmm. advertising hoardings he was the face of some dog food ad or other and uh, my, my, we were all very proud of him. I suspect I will merely be the subject of ridicule in, in my friendship circle, as they call them these days, such as it is. In many ways, it's a disappointment that it's not a tube poster of you advertising pedigree chum. You too can get a glossy coat like Barry. Would be uh, That's the advert that I'd pay for if money was no object. How long until someone defaces uh, it? Ch- I think it's quite hard to deface a tube poster because they're on the sort of, you know, you'd have to cross the platform and I don't think I'd recommend that. Just tweet us and say, tell us. No, sure, but there's some posters which are on. Oh, that's are on true. Don't, yeah. don't oh, be putting ideas of people's heads, please. Maybe it's a small <laughs> po- Yes, maybe it's a small one on that side. But like, I'm, really- I'm just going, yeah. I'm going to carry a Sharpie around with me at all times now. <laughs> Defeat, put, put a Hitler moustache on Max. <laughs> Listen, if you want to, you know, we don't advise anyone crosses the tube lines to deface that. If you're really angry with us, just tweet either me or Barry calling us a twat. It's much easier for everybody. <laughs> Um, to the Emirates, Arsenal 4, PSV 0. Um, I mean, Mark, this was just PSV the perfect opposition for Arsenal, weren't they, last night? Yeah, they were. Um, Peter Bosch um, has made a career really out of being a very adventurous and daring manager, um, not always to great success. Um, yeah, and if, you're, if you've got worse players than Arsenal, defending as loosely as what PSV did um, is... is a recipe for disaster, really, because um, there, there were moments. Noah Lang on, on you know, on on the wing showed bits of of why PSV could be quite exciting in, in this group in terms of maybe finishing second. But um, defensively, they were just ripped apart by a, a very slick Arsenal team that had won the game by half time, and all of the the key players had either scored or played well. You know, Saka, Trossard. Uh, Jesus Odegaard, who was mentioned on, on Monday's pod about just how well um, he's doing, and he, uh, once again very influential. And it was the perfect night really for Mikel Arteta because um, you know no mistakes from the goalkeeper Raya because as soon as w- whichever goalkeeper makes the first mistake, 
Arteta's going to be criticised for the decision he's making um, at the moment. So uh, he can do without that happening soon. Um, going forward, they um, you know were scintillating at times, and then he was able to you know rest um, sort of a lot of key players ahead of um, Sunday's derby against Tottenham. So um, yeah, really. Um, comfortable but impressive return to Champions League action for Arsenal. Mm. He said in terms of selection, he has good headaches. It's probably the hardest thing in the job to leave players out because you get emotionally attached to them. It's been a beautiful journey with them. He doesn't seem too emotionally attached to Aaron Ramsdale. <laughs> I would <laughs> I would point out some beautiful goals in this. Barry, which was your favourite? Um, I think I'm going to say Gabriel Jesus, probably. It was a lovely hit, wasn't it? It was indeed, yeah. Uh, Leandro Trossard, who had a, a very good game, got in behind the, the full-back, I think it was, to, to collect a long diagonal, sent in a cross, and Jesus took the ball down and, and smashed it home. And it's the first time... Is it his first appearance in quite some time? I feel like it's been a very long time since I saw either Gabriel Jesus or uh, Emile Smith-Rowe play football. i kind of completely forgotten about Emile Smith-Rowe. Um, now, they may have made cameos in recent games that I'm not aware of. Yeah, Jesus has been coming off the bench, hasn't he? But I think it's his first start. And, yeah, Arsenal's players just seem to be having a great time and PSV made it very easy for them with that sort of suicidally high defensive line they were playing. And uh, Odegaard said afterward, you know, it was a very special game for, for everyone. Bukayo Saka's first ever Champions League game, which seems strange. You know, I just presumed he'd played in the Champions League, but of course he hasn't <laughs> yeah. because Arsenal haven't been in it for seven years. Michael Arteta seemed in a very good mood afterwards and said he was going to have a go home and have a, ver, a very nice late dinner with his wife, Lorena. And uh, I know he's Spanish, but, you know, one imagines he probably didn't get home much before midnight and just to be sitting down for a very late dinner at midnight. I mean, I, I couldn't do that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've written exactly the same. It was the thing I noticed from the presser, which was how late are you having dinner, and how is Mrs. Arteta bothered to stay up? Surely she's gone. Do you know what? I've gone to bed at yeah. nine. You know, sort yourself out, mate, or just yeah. eat some of the leave something in the oven. You know, I've, I've left a plate yeah. in the fridge. Question then: What's the and excluding night out kebabs? Mm. What's the latest you've had dinner? Whatever or what is ex- latest acceptable dinner? I think you can't be dining late. I mean, I have a toddler. I go to bed at eight if I can. But like anything after, anything. I went round to someone's for dinner recently and they said it's arrive at eight. And I was absolutely incandescent. Because <laughs> I was like, that is, that is an absolute joke because you're going to get there at eight. Dinner won't be at absolute earliest is half eight after, you know, small talk and, you know, hummus or whatever. Furious. <laughs> I think 7.30 on the dot. I'm happy. <laughs> As a latest. Yeah, well, our, our um, one-time occasional producer, Melissa from Norwich, she, she has her, well, she calls it tea, and she she has it like at five o'clock, which is far too early. That is also too early. I'm, I'm saying around seven, half seven is perfect. Yeah, I think so, Mark. Yeah, but I, like to, I like to think you're a creature of habit on this particular front. Well, at the moment, uh, I mentioned this last time that I'm I'm doing the uh, the fasting, so oh, I'm yeah. I'm having yeah, to eat in my are. I'm having to eat in my window of opportunity. So I I'm probably having dinner around about eight o'clock. Um, but yeah, I I remember I, I, just going back to Mrs. Arteta. I 
sort of spoke briefly to Mrs. Langdon, who I hadn't seen for a while um, last night, and she just went, no, I'm not waiting up. Um, so, yeah, so, <laughs> so, so obviously um, Arteta's wife's got a more special relationship than, than I have. Um, is, is everything okay at home, Mark? Yeah, I think it's fine, but, the, yeah, the, 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 the idea that she sort of waits up for me to come in, um, you know, Maybe 15 years ago. What do we make of the David Raya-Ramsdale situation? I think it's really fascinating because I think, as you said, Mark, there will just be more scrutiny on any time either of them do anything now. And do you think actually, basically, Arteta wants Raya to be the number one? Like, do, are, we, are we sure who will start on Sunday? And in which case, it feels really harsh on Ramsdale. I can't think he did anything wrong. He's sort of proved everybody how brilliant he's been recently. Yeah, but... I think if you're the manager of a, a team that wants to win the league and wants to win important trophies, if you feel like you can improve a position, um, then you have to go out there and, and do it. And I, I, I can't understand why. And Peter Schmeichel has been probably the most aggressive about this. I don't understand why the goalkeeper needs to be such a special position and you know can't have somebody sort of pushing for his spot. That that doesn't feel right to me. Um, Obviously, at some stage, it could become difficult because, you know, both of them will feel like they want to be number one. And, you know, Ramsdale was only a couple of weeks ago. People were suggesting, having started against Scotland, that, that maybe, you know, he could push Pickford be, um, in, in terms of the England goalkeeper. But, you know, I, I think that David Ray is the better goalkeeper um, from what I've seen of him at Brentford and what I've seen of Ramsdale at Arsenal. And Ramsdale kind of... Very quickly, as um, sort of, he, he rose up the ranks quickly, didn't he? At Arsenal maybe wasn't expected to take that number one spot quite as quickly as he did. Um, but you know, if you feel like you can get a better um, sort of right back than Ben White, he would go and do it. If, if he thinks he can get a better central midfielder than Thomas Partey did that with Declan Rice, so I, I I don't see why he wouldn't do it, even if it is um, harsh. And you know, it's up to Ramsdale to either. Um, you know, prove himself that he is better than Ray, or maybe he'll have to leave. But yeah, I, I don't see the 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 kind of outrage in signing Ray and and then playing him. Just a word on on PSV, uh, Barry. You said that they set up suicidally. Uh, I, I I I would like to defend them for that because we need more characters like Peter Bosch in the game. I I remember when he was at Bayer Leverkusen, and I. I interviewed him quite a bit and I asked him because at defending his own corner, they had three players up on the halfway line. Oh, and I was good. like, why, uh, why are you doing that, Peter? And he was like, to give them something to think about. I was like, oh, I like this. <laughs> I really like this. Um, so look, and, and, and you look at their last three games before this, 1-4-0, 1-4-0, 1-5-1. You know, perfect. I, I, I like that it's kind of like, we're going to go all out, and if it doesn't work out, so be it. So, yeah, probably not great for the heart rates of, of PSV fans, <laughs> but for everybody else, you know, I know that he likes to, if, if he wins a game, he likes to light a cigar after it. <laughs> so, like, for everyone else as well, to be honest, um, the game needs characters like Peter Bosch. Hmm. Would be good if his assistant manager was that very chirpy guy from The Apprentice uh, who is forging a career for himself 
largely by just saying the word Bosch incredibly <laughs> loudly. Uh, I think he's a West Ham fan. He seems... Thomas Skinner, isn't it? Is that it? Yeah, very upbeat. Yeah. He's a very upbeat guy. He, he does. He? He's, he's America trader. Well, I think now he's sort of a professional celebrity. But he kind of made his name after the apprentice by making videos of himself having curries at seven o'clock in the morning in a cafe somewhere in East London. So maybe Mike, Michael Arteta could go and have a very late <laughs> dinner with him. Instead with him and Peter Bosch. Mrs. Arteta alone. <laughs> uh, also in this group, uh, Severe and Lance drew at one apiece. In Group C, uh, Real Madrid left it late against Union Berlin. Jude Bellingham, uh, their saviour again. Um, I mean... His last league goal was a 95th winner, minute winner against Getafe. Before that, he got the only goal of the game against Celta Vigo in the 81st minute. And you can't say they didn't deserve it, Archie. They had so many chances. But what a shame for Union. Like, they defended so amazing. Bonucci was there. You just sort of felt Bonucci needed Chiellini to just, like, chest pump after every block. But they were so close, weren't they? Um, just on Bonucci and Chiellini, was discussing with... Uh, journalist Richard Jolly yesterday about potential statues of what that would look like for for Chiellini and Bonucci. And we thought that actually with, with Chiellini, it would be great if it was the moment when he pulled Bukayo Saka's shirt. Right? Because, you know, all the poses that you see these kind of great players in, like Henri, you know. But for a defender, I think it should be some like piece of skullduggery. And for Bonucci, that's what I'd imagine. To get back on track, even the fact Leonardo Bonucci was playing for Union Berlin at the Bernabeu. I can't, like, my brain is still, I can't, I can't get my head around this. And they nearly, and if they'd got a result, like, this was always going to be their plan. I, and, you know, you saw Real Madrid go through the gears through the game and you saw them kind of shift up the intensity with, with, as time went on. You could see that they were still pretty chill at half time. And I think just for them to concede the goal the way they did, you like, you make it sound um, like it was very straightforward that that Jude Bellingham would score. If you're an Union Berlin fan, you're going to be like, how fortunate are you? Yeah. That yeah. when the ball, is, okay, look, the shot shouldn't come in. Statro Fofana. No, someone slips, don't they? Someone yeah. Slips. I, that's that's the problem. Like the fact that the shot comes in is is the problem. But then it then hits the hits the player, hits the back of Union player, and Jude Bellingham is there with the goal open from a yard out. Great, but yeah, the journey this club's been on, the fact that they were nearly bankrupt nineteen years ago, and that the fourth tier is not too far away in the minds of some of these fans, and I mean even some of these players, like the I mean I can't believe I saw. Earlier this year, Max, I went and visited Kerpenick, uh, where Union Berlin is based in Berlin. I've seen where Geraldo Becker buys his fruit. And I'm like, this guy, this guy here is playing at the Bernabeu. He's captaining Union Berlin at the Bernabeu. Are they the good, are they totally the good guys? You know, I'm sort of dressing them up to, but these are the, because I think last time I can't remember, it was Sharif, I said, these are the good guys. And actually, they weren't necessarily totally the good guys within everything you know are, are, are these guys within this you know this nation state leveraged debt venture capitalist world are they the good guys yeah like i i think look i i always hear there's a bit of a bit of envy from other fans in germany about how they're always described as being this all oh, this cult club and whatnot and also like politically 
sometimes uh, their some of their fans are accused of um, like you know, and this is a, a corner of their fans are, are described as being um, extreme. But I would say that for the vast majority, and what this this club uh, represents, like amongst everything else, they are good. They are they are very much the good guys. Like and and what they try to do and actually trying to stand for something whether it's you know all the fans will always will, will never boo their players um and always getting behind their team for for 90 minutes i you know just on i, I know that doesn't really compare to what i'm talking about on the political level but uh for for the most i i i think that they are positive for the game and the fact that they're in the champions league is amazing yeah. No, well, not all sort of, you know, it all feeds into each other, doesn't it? If you have that sort of positive mindset. Uh, also in this group, Napoli won 2-1 at Braga. Uh, Braga thought they'd got a late equaliser, um, but uh, lost it with an own goal. I mean, Napoli aren't the Napoli of last year, Mark, are they? Osserman is still there. Uh, Krautschelia, not not the not the Shelia we saw last year. No, it's quite depressing, really, to see Napoli just not be able to carry on what Spalletti had, had built there. Um, you know, they had less possession than um, than Braga, which is strange for a, a team like Napoli that just dominated the ball last season and would would take the game to to everybody um, and, and you know just dazzled us at least for most part of the season. So um, they won the game. Um, but it, this is not the same Napoli. It'd be a shame, really, if this one actually was more successful in terms of you know going further in the Champions League. But I, I, you know, the, the magic feels like it's gone um, from them. They have still got Oshimen, who was unfortunate not to um, at least score in this game. But um, yeah, I'm I'm not as excited when I see sort of Napoli on TV as what I was um, previously. Oshimen had nine shots. In this game. Yeah, Napoli only had 18, so he had half of them. And, yeah. Right. And the other thing I saw, for the Braga equalise, the cross comes in and Juan Jesus realises I'm not in the right position here. And it's the first time I've ever seen a defender raise his hand as the cross comes in saying the guy's offside and before he's even headed the ball, like appealing for it. And it goes in, but I was just like... To me, that looks less like you're appealing for offside, more being like, I am so out of position. Maybe that's what he was doing, just apologising as it went in. <laughs> um, uh, in Group D, uh, the group that I hate because I'm a Prem face, uh, uh, featuring Sociedad Inter. Is that a thing? Well, apparently. Um, Benfica and Salzburg. Uh, Inter drew 1-1 in Sociedad. Um, a sort of shocking defending from Bastoni at the start. Lautaro grabbed a, a late equaliser and Barella was sent off and then unsent off by uh, Michael Oliver. And uh, a really good win for Salzburg. Um, uh, not expected. Very, very funny handball uh, in this one. Um, I don't know, if Barry, if you want to take the lead on it. Really enjoyable. One of the Salzburg players took a shot, which I think it was deflected off either the defender or the goalkeeper who'd charged off his line and it looped up into the air and was sort of spiraling down and going to go in to the goal and uh, Antonio Silva just sort of stuck his hand out to stop it no um, I don't think it was going in I think that's the point of it, it oh was I the think bounce. it was going no no, 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 no. It hit the bar no it hit yeah. the bar and then came down the and bar. was well it was it would have been tapped in by Canate I think so I'm pretty sure it was going in. No. Mark? 
we need we need a Varchi because Archie is signalling. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm, I, Mark hasn't spoken, so presumably he's the one in Stockley Park. What did you think? It wasn't going in. It was bouncing out. out. Stockley Mark, as producer Joel writes. Stockley there you go, Mark. With the, with the decision. <laughs> anyway, it was very funny. And look, it was the one handball that's happened that I'm happy that it was. I'm, I'm totally okay with that being a penalty compared uh, to the other one. So, anyway, that'll do for. Uh, yes, Archie? One final thing. Can you think of yeah. any other coaches in salzburg's uh, gerhard struber who have gone from the championship to champions league within the space of two years because he was he started the season at barnsley i think two years ago i just think it's a it's a mad journey to to, to be on that you're then on that stage yeah scott parker scott parker true oh god to club bruges yeah, yeah true true that's also producer joel i don't want to claim credit for okay. being that quick and probably half of the watford manager's <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm almost certainly uh, right that'll do for part two we'll look ahead to the games in the Premier League this weekend in part three hello I'm Grace Ben I'm back and I've been busy my new book Comfort Eating which is based on our award winning podcast is out now you can get hold of it at guardianbookshop.com and from Tuesday the podcast is returning for its next season with an exciting lineup including Shirley Ballas Bridget Christie Jamie Demetrio and many more listen wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to join me on book tour I'll be in London on the 9th of October and in Manchester on the 11th talking about my go-to comfort foods and a lot more get your tickets today from membership.theguardian.com forward slash events I can't wait to see you there Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Nicholas writes, I don't know how anyone can call you a Prem face, Max. Having persevered despite being relegated last season, I thought at least Burnley's promotion would result in more claret chat on the pod. It hasn't. You're a champ face, if anything. Champions League face, not championship. Yeah, we completely omitted Monday Night Football on yesterday's pod. I I do apologise. It was a a one-all draw between Nottingham Forest and Burnley, including an excellent Callum Hudson-Odoi equaliser. But, you know, games come thick and fast. They they slip through our mind sometimes. But I take my share of responsibility, as will Barry, as will producer John. No, no, Um, I'm taking no responsibility whatsoever. Didn't watch it, had no interest. (laughs) Monday seems such a long time ago. I do remember once, years ago, when the main game on a weekend was Spurs-Manchester United. And between, I don't know, five of us, we somehow managed to completely forget about it. And there were some incredibly vociferous complaints, which is fine. You know, we shouldn't have forgotten about it. But we were being accused of all sorts of weird agendas when the truth of the matter was, we just forgot. (laughs) Just incompetent. Yeah. Right, so North London derby. Mark, are you confident going into this one? I mean, Arsenal were worryingly good. Last night, I would say, from a Spurs point of view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a Spurs fan, no, I'm, I'm not confident. Um, you know, what Postecoglou's about six games into sort of his process, and it, it's been a very good start. But this is by far the hardest game. I mean, if you have, if you actually sort of wanting to be harsh and go through the list, you know, Sheffield United, Burnley, Bournemouth. I mean, Tottenham should be beating those teams really. Manchester United have made a, a really horrible. Sort of start. They were knocked out 
of the uh, EFL Cup by Fulham. Oh no, Angie's shite! I can't believe it. This is uh, devastating. And, and they drew at Brentford. No, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to sort of calm the 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 kind of enthusiasm, um, just in terms of the results. I think what he's done with the culture and the way that he's kind of brought people together um, has has sort of been the most exciting part of it for me as a Tottenham fan and being in the stadium against Sheffield United um, it felt it felt so different you know you're going like Conte and Mourinho and Nuno um, you know thankfully that those times are gone and it felt like the early kind of Pochettino era when you you, you did feel like you were on a, a positive journey but this is a much different game to playing Sheffield United at home I mean Arsenal might not have hit absolute top gear um, so far this season but they're so dangerous in the final third. And if Tottenham do attack, and I expect them to, um, maybe they, they will create opportunities. But is the defence going to be able to stand up to, you know, dealing one-on-one against Jesus and, you know, Odegaard will get space and Saka has caused Tottenham so many problems in recent years. So I'm really looking forward to the doggy battle um, against Saka because I think a doggy has sort of quietly been one of the best players really in the Premier League this season. So strong defensively and going forward, but again, hasn't played against somebody like Saka yet. So um, it, I think as a, as a Spurs fan, it's actually exciting to see where you are. You, you, you'll get a, a view of, of more of where you are. Um, I do expect Arsenal to win um, the game just because they're they're further ahead in in terms of you know what, what Arteta's trying to do and what Postacoglu's trying to do. But um, it should be a game full of goals. I'm, I'm looking forward to it just as a new... I'm not a neutral, but, you know, I'm looking forward to the actual, the game. Yeah, it should be very open. But, you know, Spurs, goal, PSV, and Bosch de Coglu. It's not what we want, is it, with this uh, <laughs> with this Arsenal side? But, yeah, should be fascinating. Burnley, Manchester United. Barry, it's must win now, isn't it? They've got Burnley, Palace, Brentford, Sheffield United, a League Cup game against Palace, Copenhagen and Galatasaray in the Champions League. It feels like... They have to go on a run now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, anyone who has no affiliation to Manchester United will want them to lose. And Burnley need the points. Burnley at home. I wouldn't bet on Manchester United with any confidence to win any football match at the moment. But And I think Burnley will get their act together on their company, but they have been defensively shambolic. Um, so... Yeah, this may be the pick-me-up United need. But again, I, w- I would have no faith in them at the moment. Do you remember when Burnley played United? I think it was pretty early in a season. When Robbie Sir Blake. Ferguson was there. Robbie Blake, that was yeah, it. That was yeah. it. I don't know. I, I just, thinking about this game, I have visions of kind of the rain pouring down and the camera cutting to Eric Ten Hag three minutes from time in a very long overcoat and just looking very stern as Burnley kind of ebb the time yeah. away. And he says it's a game of fine margins. I don't know. We were unlucky today. Mm. Yeah, it could happen. Chelsea Villa, uh, with your Fulham hat on, how are you viewing Chelsea this season, Archie? (laughs) You can't just smile on a you can't just smile on a podcast. Oh, what a beautiful morning! Uh, Look, (laughs) I've I I would say I've I've had to I've had to report on Chelsea. Uh, professionally and have managed to keep it together (laughs) Um, but as a fan of course I'm loving it it's fantastic I this is this is everything that we've ever wanted (laughs) I and I mean that because look of course you grew up with Chelsea fans um, around you and you know 
the amount of stick I've taken from my cousins over the years. It's it's just it it, it feels like karma. It it really does. But and just the way I saw and and actually sorry, I'll carry on. No, I, I saw that they're apparently. It was a, a tweet from I think the Telegraph saying that they're getting a four hundred million pound cash injection, and then someone commented above it, "Good news for Brighton." <laughs> yeah, that's totally right. And look, Villa are good. Like Villa, Mark are really good on the break, really quick going forward. I, I think this is a really difficult game for Chelsea. Yeah, it is uh, absolutely. And you know, I, I don't think that Chelsea have been quite as bad as what the results have suggested. So far, um, we're talking about fine margins earlier on with Manchester United. On another day, uh, you know, Chelsea could have won a couple of those those, those matches, I think, um, but they haven't. Aston Villa, interesting team because the two tough away games haven't. You know, they were fresh at Newcastle and then um, didn't show up against Liverpool. Liverpool had a, had a couple of weaknesses in their team at the time. It wasn't full strength and just didn't play well at all. So. This will be, I suppose, a test for Unai Emre and whether you know they are able to go. For all that Chelsea are struggling, it's still a difficult away game. So you know they've been very good at home, Aston Villa. Can they now do it um, on the road? West Ham go to Anfield. They've obviously played this way, the way they're going to play. They've done it at Brighton at one, did it at City, at home to City, and lost. But we, you could pretty much foresee exactly how this game will pan out. Very, and you imagine Liverpool will win, but you've got to give West Ham a, a shot here. Uh, yeah, I'd give them a shot, but not much of one. We know how they will set up. Look, they West Ham. I, I. Well, sorry, I'm talking gibberish. I, I would give them a shot. Yes, but Liverpool have started the season so well. I think they'd be too good for them at Anfield. Interestingly, this is one of several games uh, that isn't being broadcast live on television in the UK this weekend. So I pay. For three different subscriptions, uh, I think I pay well over a grand a year for those. Liverpool West Ham, Chelsea Aston Villa and Brighton Bournemouth are all at two o'clock on Sunday and no one in the UK can watch those live legally unless they have a dodgy stick, which uh, I believe are available for about £60, which is consider- <laughs> considerably like less. Well, I'm not, but I know several men who are. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's 10 Premier League games this weekend and to the best unless I'm mistaken six of them aren't available to be seen live legally in the UK that's a disgrace and the Premier League and Sky and TNT and Amazon and whoever they, they get on their high horse about piracy but it's no surprise that people are uh, watching these games on dodgy streams because it's so much cheaper and you can actually watch them and you get lots of other services yeah. as well, because you can basically watch every television station that is available on the planet. Barry knows a lot about these. For somebody that hasn't got one, he knows a lot about these. <laughs> I can assure you, Mark, if I didn't have to have the, the, the subscription channels for work, I would have one and I would sack them all off, as many of my friends have done. I, I suspect there's a people listening to this and thinking about the debate would say there's a difference between games that are on on 3 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon and all the other ones because of the the, the, the the blackout. and Yeah, fine, grand. Well, even if we exclude the blackout, Liverpool, West Ham, Chelsea, Villa, Brighton, Bournemouth, no one can watch them live. And now there, there is always people, weird people, who, who will jump to the defence 
of the Premier League or whoever in situations like that, or the broadcasters, and go, well, if you want to see it so badly, why don't you go to the game? Well, I'm sorry, but it's not practical for me to go to Anfield to watch Liverpool take on West Ham uh, at 2 o'clock on a Sunday because I'm on the radio until 1.30. Yeah, which is a common problem for most fans. I might struggle to get there. <laughs> and I won't be able to get any tickets. Okay. Barry, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I know I've never complained about ticket prices before, but for Fulham-Sheffield United, I've been helping a couple of friends try to get tickets for that. For five tickets, how much do you think they've paid? Are they, what, are they buying a ticket or are they getting it through a dodgy stick? No, no. Uh, this is a ticket. Right, this okay. This is a ticket to the game. £500. You've gone too high, which is rude. Have I? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, 60 but I'm still like £300 for five tickets. That is a lot for, for Fulham, Sheffield United. That Precisely. I'm like, how are we... Ex- you go to the cinema. You could definitely go to the cinema because you know someone's really watched that through before you've seen it right. and said, I think it's good. <laughs> It might not be good, but someone's actually done that. No one's done that with Fulham, nah, Sheffield United, have they? Spot on. Uh, do you want to do a Fulham? Do you want to do a Fulham minute? Yes, please. Uh, okay, go on then. Didn't expect Max that I could ever have such a joyous moment following Fulham, and a game would not be involved. When on transfer deadline day, I was driving to a wedding in Northern Ireland, and just constantly praying that João Pelinha would not move to Bayern Munich. And when a mate of mine rang me up at just after five and read out a tweet, and she's English, in broken German, that it's passiert nicht, mate, I nearly broke into tears. I, I, it, I didn't think that it would ever feel like Fulham had beaten Bayern Munich. But that's the closest I think I'm ever going to get to that feeling. How long do you think he'll stay? How long do you think he'll stay with you? Or is that not the point? Well, he signed a new contract yeah, but now. really, it'll have a release uh, clause, Which it? feels, as somebody else put it to me, it feels like they're fattening the pig uh, for for everyone involved. I, I wouldn't begrudge him if he went in January or the start of next season. Like, the guy is way Brilliant. too good for yeah, us. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, just, it's, it's just nice to seemingly get one over the big guys. And without him, I think that we would probably get relegated or be in the mix for that so yeah uh, Neil Warnock's last game with Huddersfield was a 2-2 draw at home to Stoke at one point the Stoke fans singing Neil Warnock what a wanker and he applauded and cheered and, and conducted them <laughs> uh, he, he knows his role in all of this doesn't he um, I think he said he's not retiring so you know he'll tip up somewhere in the championship presumably in February uh, or March uh, Ben says can I ask Troy Townsend if this is on target and uh, accompanying was a clip of Hull City's Adama Traore not that one hitting the post for an open goal in the 88th minute for Hull in a goalless draw with Leeds are you, are you sure it wasn't that <laughs> I'm one? Like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> um, sounds like him <laughs> it really does uh, anyway uh, it's a good question big win for Leicester at Norwich takes them up to second Sunderland a fourth Barry uh, after beating Blackburn uh, 3-1 Sunderland are brilliant they are just so good to watch such a young team average age of about 12 and Tony Mowbray is a god I love him and he will be delighted with that win over Blackburn at Ewood oh, yeah. Park because he, he was felt very aggrieved when he left there Paul says on the back of your conversation in regards Luton fans getting to the point of the season where they would like it if they ended up with zero points 
I would like to give you the view of a Derby fan of nearly 50 years. I've seen a lot of lows as Derby fan, but I can honestly say I would rather sandblast my scrotum than go through the hell of that 11-point <laughs> season again. I live in hope every season that we will lose that record. And although I don't think anyone will ever beat it, I do feel Luton could get pretty close this year. Keep up the good work. Interesting. I, another Derby fan got in touch to say I would be annoyed if Luton took uh, that. I have written a column about this. I'm ready to get absolute pelters from uh, uh, Luton Town fans and probably deservedly so. But it was fun to write L in capital L 38 times <laughs> to see what it looked like. I hope they stay up. I'd like to say that for the record everywhere I possibly can. Uh, Martin says, how many bins have you got? I presume this is for Mark Langdon. That's a government-based question. But how many bins do you have, Mark? Uh, it's, yeah, it's manageable. Um, we're, we're not at the seven. We're at, um, we're at three. Um, and then that's, well, no, four because you've got grass. Really? You've got rubbish. Yeah, yeah. I might have to, I mean, we might have five actually. So you, you have the black bags. Yeah, so you've got the black bags, you've got the, the pink bags, which is the recycling. We've got the food um bin, uh that's so that's three. You've got your grass bags, that's four, and then we've got the glass, um, which is in more like a tray type thing. So yeah, we're up we're up to five. Wow, okay. So but the seven, I mean obviously given your expertise on this. Yeah, bring front. it on soon, you know. I mean yeah. if, if you want to, bring it on. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe this interests me so much, but I, I now look at this from a German perspective and go like, hmm, fascinating. So those are the bins yeah. that he's got. Oh, right. Yeah. How many, uh, how many bins do you get in, in Cologne, Archie? Well, so it's like my flat building. We've got, you know, the black bins, sure. You get your cardboard uh, and then kind of plastic is, is in the yellow bin. And then round the corner, there's different colors of glass bin. Oh, All right. Right. That's pretty yeah. good. What about in, in Brixton, Barry? We've got the the bog standard rubbish bin, and then the re- green recycling bin, and then the little food bins, um, which I don't like having in the house because I feel they attract vermin. That's possible. Well, we put the uh, we have the the uh, um, the rubbish bin, which is a very dark green, and then uh, recycling, which is dark green with a yellow lid, and then garden and food waste goes into the same bin which is dark green with a green uh, lid but the one thing that's very exciting about um, rubbish collection in australia is the the they don't a bin man or bin person doesn't take the bin and attach it to the back of the bin lorry a back of the lorry yeah sorry the driver's got kind of like a big you know those arcade machines where you put 10p and it tries and it goes down and it picks up a toy and then it never goes through he's basically got his big pincers that come next to the bin and pick it up and then the pincers throw it the rubbish into the bin and gives it a shake and it puts it back down it's absolutely fascinating to watch well when i was a kid i really wanted to be a bin man because they got to stand on the back step of the lorry holding onto the bar up at the top and sometimes these days i still want to be a bin man maybe it's not too late for you barry um no I, i'm not fit enough no, to be that's a bin true man. um perhaps we should have voted that section to nottingham forest burnley but there we go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway uh, we uh that'll do for today clearly um uh thank you mark thank you max thank you archie cheers max thank you barry you're welcome uh, football weekly is produced by joel grove our executive producer is max Sanders. this is the guardian 